Hello, it is yet another day of the war, and tonight we are going to discuss Russian future and the impact of endless sanctions. But first, let's do a short recap. Uh, what has changed uh, in the war theater in the last few days? Well, if you just look at the maps, then it looks like not much has changed, but uh, this is not exactly true. Uh, there have been operational advances, especially in the Zaporozhye region, where Russian troops are advancing from the north to help uh, in the great strategic prospect of uh, encircling the Ukrainian troops in uh, Gramatorsk and Slavyansk. And aside from that, uh, the encirclement of Mariupol is now complete and uh, all roads, all possible roads out of the city are cut off. Ukrainian troops are attempting to retreat from the Donbass region to Dnepropetrovsk, where the Ukrainian army in the region between Zaporozhye and uh, Dnepropetrovsk has managed to create, south of Dnepropetrovsk, has managed to create something resembling a front line uh, in the, near the towns of uh, Novodanilovka, Gusarka. Um, Enirgadar has been secured completely. So, yeah, these are the largest developments for now. The Southern Front is still advancing. Uh, in Donbass, positional fighting is continuing. So, yeah, the encirclement of Kiev is also uh, proceeding. Fresh troops are being brought in. Calm before the storm right now. Um, but uh, heavy fighting in Donbass uh, continues as well. Was it confirmed uh, the death of this uh, Russian general that everyone was talking about? Uh, no. It was not uh, confirmed by the Russian Ministry of Defense and uh, all the news agencies that posted it had the same source, which was the Vkontakte account of the leader of the local um, paratrooper union. And uh, this account was hacked, quite obviously that it was hacked and uh, this, this post about the death of General Sukhoyetsky was the only source for his death, so it appears to be fake. But recently, Vladimir Zhoga, the commander of the Sparta battalion, uh, was killed. Yes, so, so today, aside from the military developments, a ceasefire has been negotiated in the cities of Mariupol and Volnavache to allow civilians to escape from the cities to avoid the fighting. And um, the humanitarian corridors, it took long negotiations, but it appears that they were in the end fruitless because after the Ukrainian side agreed to the humanitarian corridors in Mariupol, the Azov regiment was still not letting civilians get out of the city. Only a few dozen civilians managed to get out. And in Valnavacha, they actually attacked the civilians uh, leaving the, the city and the Russian troops, the Donetsk People's Militia troops um, covering their escape from the city. And during this fighting, Vodimir Zhoga, commander of the legendary Sparta battalion, was killed in action, which is terrible and might mark a significant change in the course of this war because the Ukrainians openly violated a ceasefire that had been agreed to by both sides. So I could absolutely imagine um, that the Russian army from now on will 
be a bit less uh, humanistic in their approach to the war than it has been up until now. Yeah, so the main theme of this podcast will be Russia and uh, Russian future under sanctions. But before that, I made a little translation of a Russian writer, a disciple of Galkovsky, uh, Bohemian Manuscripts. Finished version of this text will be uploaded to Substack tomorrow. <clears throat> if you live in America, you probably know what civil war is. Union versus Confederation. North versus South, Yankees versus Dixie. Americans have lost more people in this war than in all 200 foreign wars in their history. Do you understand what this means? In this war with the separatist Southerners, Americans lost more people than in two world wars, Korean, Vietnam and all of the other wars combined, and they never regretted it. While suppressing southern separatism, Americans have reached the deepest depths of cruelty. What is described in Gone with the Wind is cute nonsense compared to what actually was happening. And they never regretted it. Because without Dixieland, America is not really America. Ukraine is a Russian Dixieland. Without Ukraine, Russia is not really Russia. Russian sovereignty over Ukraine must be restored at any cost and Russians will restore it sooner or later, even if they have to do terrible things to do it, and they will never regret it. If you are an American, then behave like an American. Look at the Russians and their actions as a mirror image of what Americans did in the very same situation. And don't squeal like Ukrainian separatists do. Don't embarrass yourself or your country. The sanctions imposed by the European Union against Russia have nothing to do with Ukraine. Europeans today are placing pieces in a, in a chess game that will be played in 10 years or even 20 on the other side of the world. Sometime between 2025 and 2030, China will be ready for a military confrontation with the United States. American strategy is based on surrounding it uh, with a system of uh, military political blocs, which include uh, Japan, Korea and other countries. Under these conditions, China will not risk taking drastic actions, for example, in invasion of Taiwan. But the trembling in the Chinese knees will pass if Russia, with its untold resources and the second or third military potential in the world, begins to play the role as a Chinese deep rear. Europeans need to drive Russia into the arms of China today in order to throw America off the top of Olympus. The time of nation-states is gradually coming to an end. Globalization will reach formation of a planetary government. And today we are talking about where this government will be located and who will get the role of the center of it. There are only two real contenders for reaching the finals. Europe and America, and everything that is happening in the world politics today is somehow a reflection of their struggle for the main prize in the future. Okay, that's probably enough, but there are a lot of interesting stuff, uh, predictions and analysis of Ukrainian history and nation building. So expect a big Substack blog soon. Yeah, so we need to talk about Russian sanctions because um, now every single day more brands, more uh, organizations uh, leave Russia. 
en masse. Så jeg undrer, hva effekt vil det ha? Hva tror du? Det er et veldig bredt og interessant topik. Jeg tror at det vi ser nå er en rekonfigurering av den globale økonomien på en skala som ikke har vært sett i dekader. What we're seeing is that a lot of countries uh, don't want to participate in the sanctions against Russia. But they have to. But they have to, but some don't have to. There is some kind of special process that allows countries to ask the Americans to be allowed not to participate in the sanctions. I think uh, mm-hmm. South Korea has done just that. And um, Well, the West is unified like never before. Yes, That's the line, yes, right? But uh, it And looks Korea like it looks like people are slowly starting to realize that Western Europe and uh, or the West in general is not the whole world. There, yeah. there are like a lot of people in the world who don't live in the West or under Western governments and who are not very interested to get in an economic war with Russia for no reason. It's not that hard to unite with your own vassal countries uh, and when global capitalism dictates to the companies certain ideology So I think we, what we're going to see is a lot of parallel systems, uh, many countries decoupling from the unified global financial system and the development of local, regional systems. And supply yeah, chains I will probably also split up. Next few years, uh, the Russian economy will not be pretty. And um, it's going to be pretty harsh to reindustrialize factories that were long forgotten uh, because now we actually have to either create new supply chains and uh, from China and from the South or do things ourselves. It's like my grandma always uh, complained about that we uh, forgot about our factories, about our industries. And I was shrugging it off like, oh, economy has changed. But actually, she was, she was right, uh, because it hasn't changed for Russia. Right now, we need to be sufficient. Clothing, whatever, pampers, it's not that big of an issue. But uh, the plane industry, uh, the Boeing, the Airbus uh, living, yeah, uh, but, um, I believe they claimed that they will confiscate Boeings. Yes, but uh, I, think, I think Russia will also be confiscating planes on Russian territory. And uh, the problem is the problem is uh, not the planes themselves. The problem is uh, repairs and uh, stuff like this and um, parts. Those will also be, the car industry. Yes, those will be really hard to get. Um, but I guess it depends a bit on um, how far the Russian government wants to go in its uh, war on intellectual property that belongs to the West. The government, there is a law proposal, I think, or some kind of debate going on in the government right now about the abolition of criminal liability for the use of unlicensed software from countries. Do you think it's a point of no return? Um, if this is adopted and if it works, then yes. Then the whole world will see that they can do this and nothing well will happen if it fails or if it isn't adopted in force then probably not but um, people have been talking a lot about this the last few years about the western domination and intellectual property um, and how countries with weaker economies than the u.s are suffering from this and are being more or less exploited by the monopoly 
So if uh, Russia can successfully navigate this and uh, introduce piracy, or if it's official, it's privateering, of course, not piracy, um, as official policy, then I think we will see a lot more of this in the future. Well, it uh, looks like they are forcing Russia's hands into it because like uh, on Steam, games became 10 times uh, more expensive. Mm -hmm. So it becomes impossible to buy any Western intellectual property, copyrighted material, right? And it will be a really fun experiment mm -hmm. uh, for the whole world to see if it works or doesn't because uh, Russia for the last century was nothing but a field of uh, weird experimentation. So <laughs> I, I believe it will happen. <laughs> yes, yes. It actually was really underwhelming. Uh, Russians uh, also jumping on the bandwagon of banning torrents uh, and uh, like Nikita Mikhalkov uh, going around uh, courts because people uh, see his uh, movies for free. It was kind of cringe, mm -hmm. right? And non-Russian in its spirit. So, yeah, I believe that it will probably happen. But also, uh, I heard a lot of threats that, uh, for example, Renault or Volvo leaves Russian market and then they have to, uh, there are factories, right, mm -hmm. uh, that are building Volvos in Russia. Yes. And they will have to either transport it back home or Russia might take them and nationalize them. And that will be a fun one, right? Do you believe in that? <laughs> But I heard uh, some rumors. I mean, it's possible there has been the... It would be beneficial, beneficial for sure. The buyback is going on, I think, uh, of um, the Russian government buying shares of uh, large companies that have problems because of the sanctions. So I guess uh, a rather large part of the Russian economy will end up uh, nationalized in one form or another. What's also interesting is that a lot of these uh, Western companies are kind of half-hearted in their uh, pullout from Russia. Yeah, it looks like a bluff for sure. They're waiting for the chance to stay. Yeah, like, uh, like, like praying for example, IKEA. I, I believe a lot of revenue comes from Russia yeah. and uh, like they employ tens of thousands of people probably, mm -hmm. thousands for sure. Uh, and if they all actually leave, which would be catastrophic for their finances and also for Russian employment, yes. because imagine uh, hundreds of thousands of people jobless. Yeah. It's, it would be an epic own against Russia, but a lot of companies, Western companies, actually, uh, Russian market is very important to them, like Leroy Merlin. 20% of their revenue comes from Russia. So they can't mm -hmm. leave, right? They just can't. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I just see news coming in. Um, Ruud Trecker has uh, just started working again by Russian internet providers. <laughs> and it also has disappeared from the register of uh, forbidden websites in Russia. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wonder when will Sputnik and Pagrom <laughs> become... Yeah, available. I think that, is this, uh, that should be one of the next ones. Uh, so I wonder, what are the Western companies actually afraid of? Uh, the boycotts in their home countries, uh, that they are Russian assets or what? Why should they damage their own companies? Well, I guess there will be pressure from America. Uh, the Americans have, of course, a lot of control over the whole Western economy. At least through financial instruments, if not directly industrial. Well, McDonald's is not living, yeah, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Why uh, is McDonald's formidable enough? 
right. Uh, so yeah, and uh, the other financial thing that I don't understand either it's just a stupendous uh, loss for Russian economy, or is this 5D chess uh, the Federal Reserves, right? The Russian reserves that were held in uh, Western banks. Entire reserves are like uh, 600 billion USD. And half of that, so 300 billion USD, were in Europe or US, and they are now frozen. Is this just a stupid? Why, why would they plan an invasion and uh, just leave all this money? Yeah, in uh, of course, economically, countries? it doesn't make sense. It's uh, pure politics. Uh, yeah, and uh, like in February, they were adding some billions to the reserves in Europe. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I, I don't uh, see how it makes any sense, but probably no one does. I don't know much about economics, so it's really hard for me to make any predictions. I mean, I don't... Yeah. I, 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 we need a I, Jewish co-host for that. <laughs> <laughs> to ask because me neither. So all in all... Economically, it doesn't make much sense, but uh, then again, uh, as the Russian proverb goes, хорошо не жили, так что нечего и начинать. So, about the Russo-Chinese relations, because it's obvious, uh, there is now an obvious push uh, for Russia to enter the Chinese sphere of influence, the Chinese orbit. Yeah. At least in terms of a common market or something like this. Um, well, yeah, and the Chinese analog of SWIFT, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, from what I'm hearing, um, the Chinese, it's now kind of, uh, they have, like, it's now, what they do is they buy Russian goods. They they buy up a lot of Russian goods as a show of support. And I've heard, uh, like, I've seen this on Twitter from Chinese people and stuff like this. What they're saying is that uh, every Russian good they buy is a bullet against Ukrainian fascism. So basically that's the form of supporting Russia in this. Uh, public opinion seems very pro-Russian right now in um, in Ukraine. But you will never know because they're yeah. not on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or that's the problem. very few of them or, are on Twitter. Well, we are actually very similar right now to China in terms of uh, internet restrictions. It was not the case. And also Russians are much more into v- VPNs than Chinese people. Um, I don't know. I think they don't have much interest in the Western internet. Well, it might be true. I don't know. Right? I, I I really don't know. I'm I don't know much about China, to be completely honest. That's a problem. Uh, we are yeah, in bed true. with them. You are not sure. That's true, who... but but that's true. But if they don't stab Russia in the back, I'm totally gonna get a Sino futurism pilled. Well, yeah, it's like we have to become Sino futurists. I tried to use Chinese YouTube, and it was not good. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> the content is very strange. Yeah. I mean, basically, everything points to the fact uh, that China is not going to sabotage its relationship with Russia in any way and that they are supportive in everything. But still, a lot of Russians are afraid of uh, being stabbed in the back by the Chinese uh, at some decisive moment or something. I think much of that is just like, you know, casual racism. (laughs) Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, the larger implications are that the days of the global village are over. Yes. And the West does not even pretend now to unite the whole world. This is true. The um, best case scenario. Actually, yeah. we have predicted this uh, almost, uh, I don't know how long ago it was, but when we had, uh, God, I forgot what his name was. The, Salo. The Serbian guy in Australia. Oh, what was uh, oh wait, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Our, uh, also, uh, Nick Sala. Uh, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, we also was talking about the social media split. And that the, the Balkan uh, Balkan people are woke on social media and the end of Global Village, I guess. We need to shill more older episodes mm-hmm. because they're not as popular, but they're pretty good. Yeah, Serbian surfer boyish Mitianism. It's called RWA 13. Oh, God, he's banned. Oh. And I'm not, not even sure what his name was. Uh, but he was Isidore Groiper, I, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, check out RWA 13 episode. We already predicted it. It was an easier time back then. I think I have reached a kind of purity of purpose um, in that it's uh, fulfilling all of my uh, autistic uh, interests of looking at map at maps and military tech all day mm-hmm. long well yeah but it's uh, much more racier than your usual hobby especially if you feel some emotion i mean of uh, course but uh, it's it's yeah. it's interesting um i like uh, doing this kind of work of course it's super exhausting but i've uh, stopped being insane about it and I don't do the 24-7 thing anymore. <laughs> yeah. So I'm actually getting some sleep and eating now, uh, which has significantly reduced the quality of uh, my reporting, I got to admit. Uh, I'm not always up to date on everything. But uh, yeah, so I will not die from doing this at least. Did you lose any weight? Uh, yes, I did. I did. I lost like five kilograms. Over the first six days of <laughs> That's the war. thin spot for you, <laughs> girl listeners. Just the be autistic war nerds like Kirill here. Yeah, <clears throat> I heard a take that it might be the first actually telegram war, mm-hmm. right? It's different from the news sites of old. Uh, what's different about Telegram? It's built like a messenger. People, actual people and the news channels and w- various weird inside channels of anonymous nobodies are intermixed. Uh, your mind thinks that the stick of unread messages is like an actual person writing to you. Mm-hmm. So you must consume it, you must read it. It's a really ingenious idea to combine messenger and social media. It was never done before, before Telegram, I think, to this extent. Uh, So it is the first Telegram war. That's why people are so... A lot of people, a lot of normies that I talk to, they're also spending hours upon hours uh, uh, looking at Telegram channels. And uh, it's not typical pastime for them at all. And a lot of people are now faced with uh, gore, with uh, Ukrainian disinfo. I mean, it's not super new. It's like it's not qualitatively new in the sense because the Syrian uh, conflict and Donbass war already were kind of like this. Not, not on this scale. Not Yes, not to the scale, but uh, I think it's uh, a change of degree mostly not of uh, the thing itself many of our listeners and us were kind of 
socialized in our I don't know late teens or something or early twenties um, in watching the Syrian and Donbas wars unfold. Yeah. On the image boards and stuff like this, and uh, but I actually didn't use the Telegram for that. Yeah, that's true. It was more on the image boards back then. Yeah, but uh, that's uh, different because on image boards uh, you just uh, see to one hundred and one thousand people discussing it without much of an agenda. Twitter is uh, the agenda is outright. Uh, the blue checks you just know that they can't tell. Uh, anything truthful but on telegram it's a really a gray area because there are actual genuine channels with people trying to be as accurate as possible mm-hmm. and uh, also the propagandist and uh, just insane people it's really interesting because you really need to uh, up your fact checking yeah it's really hard uh, like um, a lot of people who get into this now and they just don't have these skills of uh, being embedded in war autism for years. Uh, so they just can't, um, like they repost fakes all the time. Like even our own um, readers on Twitter, for example, they post a lot of very obvious fakes on me to me uh, from both sides and uh, ask me to comment on them where it's like really super obvious that it's fake. Um, I personally, I mean, I've uh, cut down the list of Telegram channels I actively follow from around 50 to around uh, 15. So, uh, because, uh, well, some have proven reliable, some have not, so I'm judging by that. And uh, yeah, we also have a group chat uh, where we try to verify stuff. Especially it was harsh on the normies, especially for the Ukrainian normies, Mm -hmm. who never actually cared about all this stuff. And now they're so emotionally charged that the Ukrainian experts in the Western Europe are, whenever they hear Russian speech, they attack people on site. They're screaming at them. I saw like a dozen of such videos. And they're always, when they're shouting, they're shouting some disinfo, clearly uh, bullshit numbers. Uh, they're shouting like uh, 6,000 of, of your boys died today and you don't uh, do nothing about it and uh, stuff like that. And they're really believing it. Uh, Infowars should not target normies. It's inhumane. It's like experiments on animals. Yeah. And I think another more technical point um, is that like the military vehicles and weapons used by both sides are similar. They are yeah. obviously not the same at all, if you know a little bit about it, but most people don't. So it's very easy. Like, for example, I what I saw today was a picture of uh, what was reported to be a Russian tank destroyed by the Ukrainians, and it was reposted hundreds of times. And it was very clear that it was not a Russian tank because it had the pixel camo that is only used by Ukrainian military vehicles. But normies don't know this, so they just see a picture of a destroyed tank and a news agency with a good reputation telling them it's a Russian tank and that's it. Well, yeah, they want to believe it because Mm -hmm. the Russian tank destroyed, the Russian plane shut down, it all sells. 
Mm-hmm. It's good news. It's uplifting for for some reason. It's uplifting to Canadian gay couples, uh, to French bartenders. They're cheering. They have a fuzzy feeling inside because Russian pilots is dead, and his uh, head is smashed supposedly, and uh, laughing it and cheering. Uh, so that's the outcome of it all. And also, uh, Ukrainians are using Adobe Premiere a lot, and mm-hmm. they're. Uh, putting ZZs on the destroyed uh, tanks of Syrian warfare, whatever, because there's a lot of um, talented uh, artists in this sphere. So a lot of the things that you see are not even real, like they're not from this war at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of Syrian footage. Yeah. And uh, also a lot of drone footage from the Armenian-Azerbaijan war, the last one. Hmm. Uh, by the way, we might actually get banned on Twitter today um, because all Western media are reporting in unison that it was the Russian side who violated the ceasefire in Volnavacha. And uh, I have been reporting this live even before it broke news in the West uh, with what actually happened. And uh, I don't know, it's possible that we get banned for this info now. So in case... Uh, it's changed. Yeah. Or like... I mean, I mean, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm used to like uh, believing that I'm. I can't get uh, annoyed by this anymore uh, by the Western media lying, but um, like seeing this unfold live, it's just it really gets on my nerves. Like, how can well, they yeah. be so shameless? Well, there's nothing in no one stopping them yeah. from doing it. They have a total card blanche. I feel, feel that uh, the, there are some people, like maybe 10% of the Russian population, mm-hmm. that feel some shame. And I believe Russians are more part of the shame culture than guilt culture. So uh, I feel uh, ashamed, ashamed of what happened. And why do they feel ashamed? People feel ashamed when someone is shaming them, right? And uh, they just uh, feel that they are part of this global media environment. And they now seeing that every single Western paper or radio station is shaming Russia. And now they can't really deal with it. They feel ashamed because uh, they respect it, respect the Western media somewhat. Yeah, uh, but generally I see a large uh, upswing of uh, patriotic uh, attitudes to it and uh, just patriotic feelings. Uh, there are a lot of people that say that uh, they didn't feel this patriotic mm-hmm. yeah, that's all true. their lives. I mean, I mean, there is a cohort. There is certainly a demographic of people who absolutely disapprove of this war yeah. and who feel that's guilty and ashamed. But respect Western media. But yeah. yes, the thing is that when they say that, like. Um, I don't know, 20 year olds with a higher education uh, from wealthy families feel that the war is wrong. It's a tautology because what they are actually saying is if you translate it into real uh, language, it's that the most westernized people in Russia are the most westernized people in Russia. So it's clear that this is happening. Uh, People who are not westernized uh, politically, there is absolute minority of people who are against it. They don't feel any huge surprise over this whole operation. Uh, In the West, it did come out of nowhere, right? There was no war in the Western news cycles in uh, Ukraine. And now there is. 
but for Russian people who actually follow the news, uh, the war hasn't stopped really. It was a slow burning conflict. So it's only natural that it will be reignited. Yes, so uh, Western sanctions uh, have achieved at this point only the great unity of Russian people. Not only Russian ethnically, also Armenians, uh, like Chechens, Caucasians, uh, Tatars, they're all in the same boat now. And they abroad or in Russia feel the same feeling of being surrounded but united. A million and a half Ukrainian refugees have left Ukraine as of today. A lot of uh, them came to Moldova, a lot of uh, came to Poland and Germany, like three main countries, also Russia, like four countries. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of... Did you, uh, see that, uh, did you see that New York Times uh, diagram about refugees from Ukraine? Where the with a fat uh, arrow yeah yeah with, with, with a huge poland. bright orange arrows to like poland and, and they're called refugees black arrow. yeah to, to yeah. russia and they're called migrants it's really funny this refugee new crisis because actually i now believe that western leftists are right and uh, the europeans and americans are actually uh, white racist uh, because uh, there was a lot of slip-ups uh, during the interviews where various officials uh, told it uh, like they felt. Uh, they uh, told the public that, well, we must uh, take in Ukrainian refugees because they're white. Mm -hmm. Or I feel great uh, like compassion for blue-peeled, <laughs> blonde-haired people blue of Ukraine. Uh, <laughs> blue-eyed. Blue <laughs> but they're blue-peeled blue as well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Freudian sleep. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, blue-eyed. I mean, the, the thing is, the thing is that it is in a way correct. Um, what I hear a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff from Poland, from Moldova, from Germany, from everywhere, that the Ukrainian refugees are, people are getting angry at them because they have very high standards, because they don't want to, because of course Ukrainians, as all Eastern Europeans, are very heavy on the casual racism. And they don't enjoy being put in refugee camps uh, together with uh, people from the Middle East or Africa. And they complain about this. Um, they demand very high standards of accommodation just because that's what they're used to, right? I mean, of course, Ukraine was one of the poorest countries in Europe, but it still um, leaks above uh, the countries where many of the other refugees come from. So uh, they have very high standards and it, they feel like they're being insulted by being put in the same accommodations as uh, people fleeing from, I don't know, North Africa or Syria or Afghanistan. Also, some of them are actually uh, quite nationalistic. And uh, in Moldova, they painted uh, the war memorial tank, Soviet tank T-34 with a uh, Ukrainian flag. They just uh, desecrated it. So Moldovans uh, very mad. Uh, also, when Moldovans try to speak with them in Russian, the common language that they both understand, Ukrainians are also mad, some of them. Uh, and uh, they criticize Moldovans for speaking Russian. So uh, it never ends with these people. Uh, yeah, and maybe Europe will remember the Arabic rape refugees as... Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, I think some... uh, uh, I think in some 
Austrian right-wing politician has already been talking about uh, Ukrainian women being sexually assaulted in the refugee camps or something like this. So the same people from the like, Syrian war uh, still live in the refugee camps or is this uh, some modern refugees? Well, it's ongoing. Like uh, these uh, in Europe, in most European countries, in most Western European countries, the process of admitting refugees can take years because there are so many of them and it, uh, the bureaucratic stuff take is, takes a long time. And of course, they yeah. are still coming in. I mean, why wouldn't they? They have been invited, basically. There is no reason for them not to come. Yeah, and uh, to end this uh, episode on the humorous note, um, some portion of Moscow intelligence, uh, liberal intelligence, uh, IT guys, uh, jobless people who don't know what to do with their lives, uh, people who read too much of Western media, who are ashamed, are now either panicking and just spreading hysteria about living to Tbilisi, probably mm -hmm. the only place that you can easily go to, or uh, some of them maybe actually go to Tbilisi. Uh, and uh, they will be up for a very rude awakening, I think, mm -hmm. because um, neither in Belize nor anywhere else with this anti-Russian climate uh, will they be uh, welcomed and uh, given a nice job. So, uh, yeah, thought uh, came to me today that Sabianin must be incredibly mad because for the last 10 years uh, he was building incredible megapolis uh, in Moscow, right? Mm -hmm. A very modern one with hipster economy, with smoothie powered uh, windmills, with uh, incredible <laughs> parks, with Apple paying electric Teslas, with all that stuff that uh, like uh, the Bay Area enjoys, right? He wanted to make uh, Moscow into the first, the uh, biggest and the most prestigious and comfortable city on earth. And without like all those vestiges of uh, global capitalism, without Apple Pay, without uh, whatever, right? Without those factories, IKEA, and the rest, it will never be finished. And uh, Moscow will never be in the charts of uh, the top five most comfortable cities yeah. in the Western media. That's so true. he must be. But his whole life project is ruined. But the positive aspect is that a lot of. Um Fancy apartments on Patriarchy are gonna be free in the near future. We'll see what the future brings. So thank you for listening and see you soon.